Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Taking your training to the next level. Today I have on the show Megan Roth, who recently qualified for the Olympic trials for the first time in her life. And what's really amazing about this is that it took her 11 years from her first marathon um, to reach this goal. And she'd actually been chasing it for about a decade straight. So she really knows what it's like to level up in her running. Um, Over the years, she has improved as a runner and on her journey, she also had to improve her mindset and her approach to training. All those little things that you're doing in your training really add up to something great. Um, In addition to being an amazing athlete, Megan is also a running coach here. She's been working with Run for PRs for about a year and a half now. Um, And as a run coach, she's helped hundreds of athletes hit PRs. Um, she has had over 15 athletes qualify for Boston for the first time. And today we will be chatting about how she instills leveling up mentality in her athletes and what we can learn from her training approach. Okay, Megan. So let's talk first about kind of what happened this past year, like the last 12 months. Um, cause I know a year ago we were actually recording this video that we often share on our run for PRs page and you were, you were running in the video, but in between running, you were limping and really you shouldn't have been running because <laughs> you were injured. <laughs> um, so going from like not running at all, being injured to then qualifying for the Olympic trials, just nine months later, tell me about that journey. So, I mean, like you said, a year ago, even at this time, I was injured. And I think back to all of even 2018. 2018 was an extremely rough year for me. And I think I talk about that too a lot on Instagram and just with different things. But um, just a really rough year. I had come out of CIM in 2017, um, was injured for some months, would come back and start training again, get injured again. And it was just a cycle of injury after injury which is so frustrating. I know a lot of runners too can relate to that um, through their years of running. But until last year, I think um, just around Twin Cities Marathon and then also with CIM, I ended up having to miss like two of my big races. So completely devastated um, at this time was injured. And so that's when I really started kind of planning, you know, what can I do now to kind of pull myself out of this funk um, and kind of, you know, look long-term, think of, you know, what's going to be the best training approach to set myself up for success. And then that was when, you know, kind of decided to sign up for Boston, which was kind of out of the, um, I hadn't really thought to rerun Boston, um, even over like the previous eight years. Um, a lot of people had always bring up Boston and just had never thought to run it, but, um, you know, decided to jump on board with that. I thought it was perfect to with the team and all the excitement around it and just that would be a really great way to, you know, start thinking long-term start training towards that. And thank goodness, like in October of last year was when um, I kind of started easing back into things. I think it was actually like the day of Twin Cities Marathon. I remember I went running like a few miles and from there I kind of kept building back and, um, and that. So some of it was, yes, I was injured, but I think that long-term plan and setting um, kind of my mindset, my mindset towards, you know, how can I like start thinking to like something, you know, down the road that's going to, you know, long-term be successful, not necessarily, you know, short-term just struggle (laughs) of coming back from injuries. So that I think had really helped a lot. Yeah. That's, that's amazing that it was really like you were off of training pretty much almost the whole summer. Cause it seemed like from July, August, September, like a good three months there, it was pretty much no running. And then you said you started back in October. That's only like a six month build back. But because you had that amazing aerobic base already developed over all of those years of training, um, I think that really helped you with your building back. And then just like your approach to coming back. I remember watching on social media and everything like it was seemed really conservative and like it was a very slow, gradual build. Um, and then you just were able to carry that fitness and stay injury free um, to Boston. And I think what's really interesting about that is 
you have ran several marathons, I think under 250, like a lot in that like 247, 248, 249, 250. So you were always like really, really close. And then thinking, oh, you're going to go out to Boston. Boston notoriously is a difficult course to run. Um, It's really hard to run fast there. Um, And then just going for it and that having to be like all the stars aligned, like on that day um, for you to do that. Like, what do you think led to that breakthrough? Or do you think it was something that was more like consistency over time? Oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, I mean, honestly, thinking back on Boston, I mean, the race couldn't have gone better. And I, I know I've talked to other people about that. If everyone's marathons went as well as Boston went for me this year, I mean, everyone would run marathons. Like, it just, it was the most, um, if I knew Boston was going to go that well, or I guess I just, I've never experienced something um, go so well, especially when it comes to racing. And I think a lot of it was consistency. I know my training from, um, like you said, it was a slow, gradual buildup. I had started back in October, just started building back a base, started working with my coach again. We even started with like four by one mile, you know, me and at the track four by one mile, um, started kind of building back tempos and just, you know, conservatively kind of building into marathon training. And I even think about some of those first workouts and coming back from injury. And when I had, you know, set the goal of like doing Boston and, like you said, it's not an easy course. It's not really a course that people, you know, try to plan to run their Olympic trials qualifier at. And so I think it, even at the time, it was a very, like, ambitious, very, like, really, like, is that, I don't know. It was just one of those things, like, I'd put it out there and, you know, was going to really work hard to make it happen. And I think, um, you know, from that gradual buildup and then working with my coach, um, I've worked with my coach for a number of years, so which I think has also helped. I think we finally got to a point in my training that I had never experienced in my life. I know even since I'd worked with him, um, we would usually have a pretty good buildup and then I would always struggle with some type of injury. So it was the first time that I was really able to, you know, do a lot of the recovery things, foam rolling every day, stretching, strength training, um, just being really careful to not push my body through any aches or pains. I think it's you know, and I always stress to my athletes, it's much better to take a day or two or rest or rest for a couple of days than to push you injury because it is a lot of those small nagging injuries that turn into months of injuries. So that's just one thing I've been a lot more careful with my training. Um, but with the buildup and finally getting to workouts where I think back to those first, you know, four by one mile repeats. And I even look back on my Instagram and some of my posts and even training test videos. And I just felt like I was getting like crushed by the workout. Like I just felt like it was so hard. I'm like, how am I going to run like a whole marathon at like a 615 pace? And then I kind of look later in my training and there was some of my like breakthrough workouts that finally, I think, especially after like surf city and, um, and Phoenix half marathon in February, I really started getting into some of those longer tempo workouts. And it was the first time I think in my running like career that I've actually felt that I was like crushing the workout. I felt in like complete control. I felt like so strong and confident and was just feeling so good with my training that it's just something I'd never experienced with my own training and really feeling like I'm actually like, I felt like a real, like, you know, like runner, like I'm not saying I hadn't felt like a real runner before, but like, I actually felt like, wow, like I, I've never ran this well. I've never like seen myself do workouts like this and to feel this good and like, you know, to put all the details into my training was supplementing and, um, you know, extra sleep and nutrition. And it's not that I hadn't done a lot of that stuff in previous training. It was just really kind of going into a lot more of those details that were helping to continue to perform well, continue to crush those workouts. Um, and a lot of those to build a lot of confidence going into Boston. Um, so, so I, the training helped a ton. Um, but I think no matter how well someone's training goes, and I think, you know, a lot of people can relate to this. You go into your taper weeks and you always start to get that self-doubt that, you know, did I do everything, you know, through my training that's really going to help me race my race goal? Because there's one thing for your training to go extremely well, but you can completely have just a terrible race, like completely fall apart, whether it's, you know, digestive issues, maybe it's, you know, even weather conditions, which Boston was another one, you know, the week leading into it, it was looking like it was going to be like the year before. So then it's always the worry, like you can prepare as well as you want for a race, but what if all of a sudden, you know, race conditions are terrible. So I think that's another hard thing with Boston. It ended up being 
you know, really good weather this year, surprisingly, especially for like the early start time. So I think there was just a lot of factors too that just turned it into, you know, the race that it, that it was that day. And for, um, you know, like you said, the stars kind of align and things are really come together and to just go out there and just take everything from my training and just put it into a race and just, you know, and do it. Like, I think that the craziest thing to me is that like, I actually did it, you know, it's like I thinking back from my buildup and even a lot of people on Instagram, it's, it's really fun. Cause they're like, you know, it's been so, so neat following your running journey. So like, I'll hear this from people later. And I'm like, it's the first time too, where I can look back on my training. I, I kind of love looking back on my Instagram. Um, so that's like one thing I do love about social media. It's so fun to go back and like, think of what I was feeling that day, like some of the emotion, like just from like my writing. And um, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's been one of the neatest experiences. And I think just being a part of this team has made it like, that much more because you know it's it's different when you're training on your own and um you know it's still great and you know I, I still love to run and I still would be like pursuing my running like goals and dreams and stuff but then also when you get everyone else involved through social media and Instagram and all the extra support and inspiration and those types of things I, I think those things have really helped mindset and um just having more confidence um you know myself and my training and just um yeah so boss it's it's been a really you know great experience yeah it's it's really exciting to hear you talk about it no it's good I think people really appreciate hearing like all the details like in your words and being a part of the community like you said like it really helped you um which is great to hear because sometimes you hear like people feel uh the pressure of social media or the comparison traps but this is actually the first training cycle for a marathon that you'd ever used Instagram because when we first uh met and started talking going through the interview process like you didn't post your training none of that stuff so it was was interesting to kind of see it all unfold and I think um it's awesome to like post that and have people follow your journey but I think a lot of people maybe they don't see like some of those harder seasons that you went through in like the years leading up to it you know um and sometimes people think you know the stars always aligned on race day because of you know a race like you had but it's good that you're showing that you know I've had races where the stars don't align like you've had training cycles where you've had hiccups along the way and it's just good to know that there's always like those highs and lows and it's not always like a straight shot to success um and I think that's part of what is really cool about your story because you weren't a runner um in high school or college you just played soccer and then you made that transition and you had this goal on your mind and you just stuck with it um and then I really liked how you also talked about Oh, it was doing like all those little things. You actually had more time to like dedicate to yourself, doing the foam rolling, focusing on nutrition. And maybe those little extra things that you were doing was enough to, you know, propel you to that next level and have you feeling really good on your workouts and for races. And one thing I really remember during your training cycle, um, how you were talking about how you didn't train you know, if you felt injured or if things just felt off, like you need an extra day, you took an extra day. Um, but I've noticed that you've done a lot this year, uh, which is a good thing. Like if you aren't feeling a hundred percent, you're like, you know, I'm not going to do this race. Like you just decide not to do it, which is great. Like I think O'Gara's 8k, you decided not to race. And that would have been like a month before Boston, but like listening to your body and just knowing, you know, instead of doing this 8k, I'm going to do something else or take it easy. Um, Cause one 8k, it's not worth it to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, especially with like the conditions here and, um yeah and some right before Boston too even you know maybe doing something that's like more specific to Boston training I know um you know instead of doing a race so yeah that that was definitely part of it too um just kind of focusing on okay Boston is you know everything I've been building towards there's no reason to go jump into you know a race that's really not gonna necessarily help (laughs) I guess right training Right. Because there's only so many days in a training cycle and like every workout and every race should really fit like what your goal is. And it would have been fun to do it, but it's like you knew that there was a better workout or a different path for you um, during your training cycle that you wanted to take that would be more beneficial for your specific goal, which kind of brings up to the next point. Like, what have you been doing since Boston? And like, how are you preparing for um, the Olympic trials race in a couple of months from now? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so since Boston, took a little bit of time off after. So just took a little bit of downtime. Um, 
just to kind of, you know, re-energize some training. And then um, I, I know kind of the focus with meeting with my coach a few weeks after was to now start focusing more on speed. So um, building up more speed. And so um, and focusing more on the, some of the shorter distance, which I grammas half in June, which was a new PR, which was still really exciting. Um, also, race-wise, just went really well. Um, one of my hardest transitions has been moving from marathon training to speed in some of those higher-intensity workouts. Um, not that I don't love to run fast. I just would rather run fast for longer, I guess. So right. that's been really hard. That was really a struggle the first couple months was, you know, meeting at the track and doing, you know, really pushing outside of my comfort zone and into, you know, back to the... I don't the workouts I feel like when I first worked with my coach I used to be really good at like really pushing really hard for the whole entire workout to be able to just run really fast and there was a number of months where he's like you know then had to kind of reteach me how to you know start more conservative feel strong for the workout not necessarily feel like I need to push it all out but now I feel like it's transitioning back to where I, I really need to try to be able to push myself into, the, you know, more of like that 5K, 10K race pace, you know, faster workouts. And so that's gotten better. That's been a lot of the focus for the summer. Um, so grandma's went pretty well. I struggled off and on just with, um, I feel like my hips been off and on for since kind of February. I know it bothered me back in like Phoenix um, and then had done pretty good and um, more recently that was kind of bothering me for a few weeks so I feel like as soon as I like started to kind of build back some speed I was kind of pulled back a little bit um, mm -hmm. and that's when I had done my 100 mile week was just to not push um, intensity too much but to also um, get my 100 mile weekend that I've been wanting to do this summer and um, build up just a really good more of an aerobic base and and then kind of go back into training and um, so now I'll have a 10k coming up a week from today so at the three exciting. <laughs> so hoping to um, race a PR there. Um, I feel like where I'm at with my training, I should be able to, and that would be a really good kind of indicator that you know speed's coming coming along. Um, MDRA 15K went really well. I feel like I um, I raced it in first and I finished in first. I didn't really feel like I ever really pushed the pace that hard. So it was a really good training race, but um, compared to previous years, I felt like. Um, you know, I could have raced it harder, I guess. So that was one that I, I feel like it was a really good race, but I didn't really feel like I was race racing it, like really pushing to um, race an all out 15K. So I'm hoping I can do that at my 10K coming up. And then I'll have um, a half marathon for City of Lakes. And then my coach, I'm now going to be doing the TC 10 miles. So I'll be competing for the USATF championship race. So it'll be fun to two years ago when I competed, um, I raced in the open. So I think I placed second in the open last year. I had to miss it cause I was injured. So that was kind of devastating. It was my first year getting entry, um, into the race. And so I was injured last year for it. So really excited to compete in the 10 mile. That's going to be more of my peak race now for the next, I don't know, five, six weeks, um, preparing then to go back into marathon training. So hoping to kind of start, for more specific marathon training um, with more speed, running faster, and then going back into some of those longer tempos. And um, long-term at Atlanta, I know it's supposed to be a harder course than Boston, but honestly, this is at least my thought now, and I'm, I'm going to put it out there because I, you know, I think it's good to obviously set big goals, but I would love to go under 240. So if I could go if, um, into the 230s, that would be, I mean, that's my goal right now for Atlanta. I'd be really happy with that, at least for this year. And then the key That is awesome. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> so that's, yeah. So thinking, yeah, for um, February. So yeah, the end of February, which is going to come up soon because, like I mean, it's six months. It's like six months right. away. Right, is... yeah. It's coming up so qu quickly. But it's great that you have some races that you're, you're doing this fall to kind of like stay in shape and continue to like gain that speed. Because like you said, you're working on the speed work now that you're not in that marathon training cycle. What is your 10K PR and like what sort of time are you hoping to run at victory just trying to like win or when you set goals like with your coach um, for races like for the 15K or this 10K coming up, do you guys set time goals or is it more like I'm just trying to win or how does that go? <laughs> um, yeah, but, well, so two years ago, victory 10K was my last 10K. So it'll be nice to also have the same race. Um, so 
that was two years ago. So it's a 36, 43. Um, and yeah, so no, I mean, I would love to try to win it. I, I guess we'll see. I know that there are definitely some really fast women that will probably show up for victory 10 K this year. Um, so it'll be fun just to go out there and compete. I would love to go under 36 minutes. Um, which I mean, my speed has been going pretty well. I've had some fast workouts. I, I think it's possible. Um, but yeah, a PR for sure, but I'd love to go under 36 minutes. That would be um, definitely a goal for it. And if I can win it, that would be, that'd be amazing. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. So yeah. Those go are for. Great goal. That's so fast. Was that like 545 pace or something crazy like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right about that. So that would be a good so that'd be a good starting point. And then like I said, my friend Meg, too, that raced Boston with me. She's actually coming to see you with me for um City of Lakes. She's gonna be racing that for Chicago or for like one of her tune up races for Chicago. So that'll be kind of fun. So I'll be racing that with her for fun. That'll be more of a fun half marathon. But um I don't know if I'll if she's running that marathon pace or she's gonna be racing it. So depending on what she ends up doing, um, it'd be fun to try to maybe even try to PR. I don't know. I guess yeah. so. see how it goes yeah because that's a that's a fun local one that I think is pretty pretty competitive I feel like it's a USATF race so the reason you know people are probably listening and they're like how would she not win the 10k if she went you know 36 minutes or under it's just like we have certain races in Minnesota that are um, like USATF Minnesota and so like the most competitive fastest people that live here um, they come out and race so people um, we even have a team like USA, what is it? USATF Minnesota, uh, or I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> That's probably what it's called, right? Um, that Dennis Barker, her coach used to be um, the head coach of, and it's basically professional athletes that get paid stipends just to run. Um, so people like are at that level and all those people have like OTQs and they come out and they do these races. So there's definitely no guaranteed wins <laughs> for anyone here. It's all. Oh yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's part with, um, you know, like you say, I didn't grow up as like, you know, a runner. I, I did play soccer for 16 years and I always kind of bring that up because I don't have a background in like track and field and cross country. I almost ran track my fifth year at UMD, um, but just decided to focus on marathoning. So I always think about, you know, how that would change my running now if I would have came from more of a background of doing like track and cross country. Cause I feel like I've never really had like that really fast top end speed. Um, I've c- come from like marathoning, <laughs> you know, it's like my first race <laughs> is a marathon. Right. So, so people always want, I think people look at my times too. And they're like, how are you such a fast marathoner? But like your 10 K PR is like, you know, a 36, 43, like it just doesn't, I don't know. So right. it's like my background, I feel like makes, a really big difference in like where I'm at now because you know it's like my first race was a marathon and I I do like the like long distance um, it's just hard for me to really push myself out of my comfort zone so anything with my training now that I can do I, I feel like it helps give me even more of a competitive advantage at least going back into marathoning and I just I know marathoning is more of my strength I just um but I would still love to you know, race some faster times for some of those shorter races too. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. Cause sometimes actually it's more often, I think people have those really fast, you know, 5k, 10k PRs, and then you look at their marathon time and it doesn't exactly line up, but you're kind of like the opposite. <laughs> so you're really good at the long distance um, events and, you know, your short distance ones are fast too, but I think anyone who looks at all your times across the board would say, wow, she's a really good marathoner. Um, and I'm sure like if you had time to focus on the shorter distance speed, you'd, you'd get your times down there too, but it's just like, you only have so much energy to focus on one event and, you know, marathoning is kind of where it's at as you get older, but yeah, it would be really interesting to see kind of what would have happened to your running career if you would have ran all throughout, uh, high school and college. Cause you definitely have a lot of talent there too, no doubt. Um, so in terms of training for the Olympic trials race, it sounds like you have a couple of races lined up and then after TC 10 mile, it's going to start getting really cold in Minnesota and um, with a race in February for the Olympic trials marathon, um, it's probably going to be pretty cold <laughs> when you're training. So how do you navigate training in the winter in Minnesota? 
Yeah. So I even think about last year, um, at least up until last year, I think up until I went out to like California and Arizona for my two half marathons, I think through February or at least beginning of February, our weather actually ended up being pretty good. But some of it too is, um, I mean, they kind of keep the pass cleared and our winters always hit our mess. So I know I even talked to my coach like months ago. He's like, oh, don't worry. I'll have some good like treadmill simulated, you know, runs for you. So I have a feeling um, he'll definitely, you know, I'm sure there'll be some good treadmill training runs and with some incline and different ways of simulating the course. So I know he'll have some different ideas with that. Um I'll probably try to get outside as much as I can, at least for like my easy running days. I know last winter was probably one of my first winters that I finally, you know, decided to just bundle up and get outside. (laughs) And so I think too, living around the lakes and in the cities has really helped my training too, and not being stuck to the treadmill for all winter. Um, But yeah, I think between, you know, maybe some of the indoor tracks, I know treadmill simulated um, training runs and then hopefully getting outside as much as possible. Cause it's always a transition. I know last year I just, I think I almost freaked out <laughs> like the first time going to the treadmill. Cause I was like, I just can't do this. This is so hard. Like, so I think just, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a transition, but I, I think after last year and a lot of my Boston training and how well my treadmill runs went, um, it should be it should still be a good preparing for Atlanta and at least with it being in February it shouldn't be too much of indoor training too but I still I mean I I still love the treadmill I guess for training and I think there's a lot of um I know a lot of my athletes and I'm sure your athletes and everyone's athletes always you know wonders the treadmill compared to running outside it'll be great for pacing and as long as you have incline on the treadmill and um of course there's only you know so many ways to really um, mimic exact outdoor running. Um, So I I think there's still, you know, some benefits to it, but also still not getting the same, you know, workout as you might get as going outside. Um, But I think the treadmill can still be a great way for training. So I know that will be for some of my um, longer, harder workouts, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be back to the treadmill. Yeah. The treadmill can be a useful tool for sure in the winter. Cause sometimes it's really our only option here in Minnesota. Cause like you said, if you don't live somewhere where the paths are getting cleared, it's just like not safe. You know, you can't even really hit those faster paces um, outside if there's ice, which seems to be about like a good eight week span there in January or February where it's just all ice. Um, so it's good to know that you trained for Boston using the treadmill for a lot of your workouts are or the indoor track and it translated you know on race day for you and like you said using that incline um is great and that's a great tool to use when you're on the treadmill I think one of the biggest things athletes struggle with when they in the spring try to make the transition back outside is not only the hills but if you're using an incline on the treadmill it shouldn't be much of a problem but I think the wind sometimes like we forget what that wind feels like and I know when I transition outside again I'm like oh my gosh I feel like I'm being blown over but um and then like the sun because that obviously can really drain you and I'm sure in Boston you probably got a little warm with that sun yeah especially in the last few miles um and that's part two. I mean, at least was starting a little bit earlier. I really helped with at least finishing by the end, but yeah, those last few miles, especially going into town. Um, yeah. Started to get pretty warm, I guess, towards the end of the race. And that was part two. I mean, even with a marathon and going into those last miles, um, I just remember thinking to myself, like, Megan, you have like 30 minutes, like you have 30 minutes. All you have to do is just keep running. You're feeling really good it's just the, always the scary thing about a marathon is anything can happen at any time. All of a sudden you can get to mile 25 and be like, Oh my gosh, like my body, like it's starting to shut down. Like I'm just, you know, you can also just start to hit that wall and that can really happen anytime in those last miles. And so between the heat and then just, um, after I got through the Hills, I, I was feeling pretty confident at least, you know, after getting through heartbreak Hill, I think that was, one of the scariest parts of the course for me that I was just trying to stay as calm as possible going into mile 16, um, kind of drop back, thought to myself, all right, let's get through the hills and then just keep cruising. And so, um, between that and I guess just checking the time clocks every couple miles, which was nice that they had on the course too. But I, um, 
Yeah, no, the, the sun got to be a little bit towards the end. Luckily, I'd supplemented the whole entire race, um, is, which is another thing I recommend for people. Supplementing so important. I talk to my athletes about it all the time and just making sure that they're practicing it with their longer, um, harder workouts along with their long runs. Um, supplementing, I, I think, has really also helped with bringing my running to the next level. I um, I supplement for races, but I hadn't done a ton of supplementing for my training runs. Um, so I think that had really helped too. And then I know with Boston too, I think I probably end up having, I don't know, I was probably covered in goo <laughs> by the end of the race and then having just Gatorade and water at every water stop. So I think a lot of that just, um, I mean, there's some to maybe supplementing too much, um, but just for that race, I just made sure to get at least Gatorade too, and to get plenty of electrolytes and staying hydrated. And um, even in those beginning miles, cause I know by the end of the race, just making sure to have enough fuel and hydrated and, and still feeling good, you know, yeah. from, you know, it's one thing to feel good up to mile 22, 23, but it's a marathon. I mean, you want to, you know, get to the finish. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, it's not a good time to, to hit the wall at the end. So, you know, really feeling good from mile one to the end. And I think feeling and supplementing really helps with that too. Yeah. Fueling can be such a game changer. And when you were talking, I, I realized you said you were looking at the time clocks on the course and I was like, oh yeah, she didn't run with a watch. You were just going off of effort which is crazy to me because you had such like a time-based goal um but so how did you like pace or know like where you were you know on the course based on your goal oh yeah so one nice thing was that well I did run with Meg for at least half the race so she was pacing us for half the race I think we ended up halfway at about like 120 um, like one twenty thirty, like right around there. And I remember talking to my coach the day before and he just kept saying, you know, no matter what, going into this race, race your own race. Um, don't let anyone, you know, push the pace, make sure that, you know, basically race your own race. Don't let anyone push the pace or, you know, try not to start the first half um, too fast. And so when we went through at like one twenty thirty, I was like, you know what, um, she, she's feeling really good. I'm just gonna really just trust that I can, you know, make it through the second half of the race. And it took a lot for me just to kind of let her go, um, especially since she was pacing us. And so decided to kind of ease back, um, still saw her in the distance. So I kind of knew at least seeing her also in the distance that I was still holding a good pace. Um, every time clock trying to do like the math in my head, I think that also distracted me <laughs> on the course. Um, just like kind of, you know, staying positive, but then just like trying to figure out, okay, so that's my time split. I should be right around there. And, um, so that was one nice thing without having to watch. Um, cause most races don't have that or almost, you know, every race will have maybe like halfway the, um, like 20 K 25 K. Um, so they'll at least have it throughout the course, but usually not that often. So that helped a lot. Um, and yeah, I just remember turning down Boylston and seeing the clock in the distance and it said like 243 something. And the, the elite, oh um, God. the elite people had set or their clock, I think was a couple minutes ahead. And so I was like, <gasps> Oh, so you did. You well, think you I was it? trying to think, I'm like, okay, do I have an extra minute or two or is that the real time? And all of a sudden when I turned out, I'm like, you know what, Megan, just get to the finish line. So I was like, you know, ran to the finish. And then I don't know, it was two forty. I was two forty four or three. And I was like, okay. But I mean, even being within a minute, I mean, it's just, it was really kind of close. I knew that I couldn't race the race really any faster. I was just going to hold my pace and just really hope that by the time I got to the finish, I was under two forty five. <laughs> I guess for, so that was. Wow. Yeah, no, that's like a crazy story. I really love hearing that because most people never run without a watch and so when you're just like yeah I knew this was the best that I could do and I know I can't run any faster and this is what my body had to give that day and you don't need a watch to tell you those things so it's just a really unique experience for me listening to everything you're saying I think other people listening maybe they can you know learn something from that that you know your Garmin doesn't have to be the source of feedback for how you're feeling or you don't need it to run to your potential. Well, I think like, too, the hard thing with Boston is with the Hills, it's hard to, and my coach had said that too. He's like, you know, some miles are going to be you know, a little faster. Some are going to be a little bit slower. So unless you're racing a fast course, it, it's hard to know too going off a of mile split since every mile is going to be a little bit different. So I feel like that was one thing too. It, it just gave me a chance to 
kind of go off of effort and feel and, you know, just hoping that my body just based off my training would settle into that pace, um, with the two. And, and I think that does help a lot with my training. I, I sometimes do wear a watch, especially now if I'm timing myself outside, but even certain, um, you know, training runs that he had me do, um, even like that, you know, hilly loop that he has me do in, in Highland, which is always such a hard workout <laughs> every time. <laughs> the loop, of the death, loop is right? like never gonna, I don't know, um, never gonna get easier. But I, uh, but that also helped me really tune in because it's so hilly that I had to kind of just adjust based off of the hills and the pace. So I think that's one thing with Boston and a lot of courses is it's good to, it's good to know where you're at. I think um, even when I race without a watch, I still like to know about what time I'm at. I don't like just to go out there and not. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to see where I, you know, where I'm at at the finish line. But I also do like race a lot off a feel and know that I'm pushing as hard as I can, even if I know where I'm running. Like, I'm not going to be able to push myself any harder. And I'm hoping that it ends up, if anything, being a really good surprise and I end up running faster because if I'm feeling really good that day. So I think there's a lot of good and bad things to not racing without a watch. It's I think it's good to know, you know, pace wise and some to not starting too fast is always mine. I, I know, especially on a marathon, it's, it's good to know where you're at in those first like five, six miles, um, just to stay well paced, at least for the beginning, and then um, kind of pushing the pace from there. So I just, um, I feel like I build a lot of it into my training. So it so it helps me a lot. But I could see how if you're really used to using a watch, how it'd be really hard to go into a race without a watch. So I, I think it's, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like if you took that away from some people, it'd be like they'd go out so hard. Uh, But it's good to, you know, I think a watch definitely, like you said, has those benefits. Like the first six miles, you really got to hold back and make sure you're not going too fast. And I think the watch definitely comes in handy there. Um, I think maybe like the tougher spots, uh, like if you would have looked at your split on Heartbreak Hill, because it was really interesting on the tracker when we were all tracking, you were like, oh my gosh, she's. She's going so fast, like you were speeding up through Newton a little bit, just like a second per mile. Or maybe you slowed down a second per mile. I don't know. But then you went up Heartbreak Hill and it said it just timed how long it took you to do Heartbreak Hill and it said your pace per mile. And we were all like, uh-oh. <laughs> like we were like, she slowed down. But then it said like you sped back up and we we're like, oh my gosh. And so it was almost like if you maybe would have got that feedback, like I don't know, maybe it would have just affected your confidence, but you knew like how you were feeling and how things are going. So just because, you know, the pace is slower, obviously you're going uphill, right? (laughs) Like, you know what's happening. And um, sometimes in those cases, like towards the end of a race, it's better just like not to look at the watch and just give everything that you have. And yeah, for sure. I am. Well, and even looking at my splits, I was um, surprised that I think my first 5k was the same pace as like my last mile. So it's crazy to think like pace wise too. It just, um, it couldn't have been like any better pace in terms of like from start to finish, you know, and that was the the Hills was like by far. Um, one thing about Boston too is, you know, they focus so much on like miles 16 to 21 in the Hills when really the whole entire course is like hilly. It is. It's really exactly. Yeah. Like the first couple of miles, even though there's the downhill, yeah, there's like they're, they, they don't talk about like the, really the rest of the course and how many hills there are. But, um, in not seeing that, I, I think, you know, even all the athletes I worked with, how important hills were like, no matter, I think what marathon hills are always important just to build, um, you know, more strength and power through training. But it's just, you know, some of that, it, it's just kind of funny just because, I mean, there's just so many hills throughout the whole entire race. I was, I was shocked that my legs held up through 21 miles of hills just because well then towards the end it kind of um there's like the downhill through like the the ghost mile I think they have where there's like the cemetery up on the right because I remember kind of passing through and seeing the cemetery up on the right but then kind of going into town that the hills you know it's more of kind of a gradual um through town yeah for like the rest of the race but yeah those first miles I mean it's just yeah it's a very hilly course just yeah throughout the whole entire thing yeah, and we don't have a lot of hills like that around here, you know, and we, we coach some people that live in, you know, Florida or Texas, and it's like, well, how do you get the hill simulations? But like you said, there's the treadmill workouts. There's always hills somewhere, you know, you just got to find them. And like, for me, I could avoid hills all day long, you know, like living in Minnesota, you, you almost have to like go and find them. And you have like that one loop that you always did. Um, so just like being aware of that in your training and 
I think that definitely helped you. And I know that that's probably going to be your plan for uh, the Olympic trials marathon race coming up because that's a hilly course. So you're probably going to Im- implement even more hills. Um, yeah, that definitely. So that, I know that will be a big part of training. Yeah. So I know that you said that your goal for that marathon is hopefully, you know, sub 240. Um, do you have any goals like after the trials are over? Like what are your goals for the next, you know, five, 10 years? Where do you see yourself? Oh yeah. I, um, so I think even after Boston, um, I think Boston just when it comes to, you know, just, just everything I've ever wanted, you know, even the last, you know, like 11 years of running, it really has made, um, you know, just the overall experience, the training for it, like how well the race went, you know, reaching my goal of getting um, Olympic trials and um, just kind of through that whole experience. And um, it, it just made a lot of things a lot more real to me. It's, um, you know, I, I've wanted to run my Olympic trials. I think it's something I've always dreamed to do. Um, was my training always there? Uh, you know, I don't know, <laughs> not necessarily, you know, even thinking about, you know, how well, um, Boston when I, I think, you know, the closest to that was maybe back in 2017. And um, for CIM, when I ran the first half too fast, I, I think I could have ran my Olympic qualifier that day. Um, that was probably my other kind of time of training that training had gone really well. But thinking now from, you know, Boston and even just staying injury free for however many months and kind of going into Atlanta, I mean, long-term, um, and even when I met with my coach after Boston and even reading some of that, um, I think out in Boston, I had a chance to meet like Shailene and, and Meb and, um, even a good friend of mine, Shadrach, he, um, he's a professional runner and we've been really good friends over the years. And, you know, it's always been, you know, a thought to, I, I would love to, you know, run at least at some professional level, you know, at, at some point, even if it's like a year or two. And I think after, after trials, I, I just want to keep building and, you know, see what my potential is with the sport. Um, I, I know I can be a two thirty marathoner. I, especially after Boston and just, um, as I can continue kind of going into my peak years here in the next five to six years. And, you know, even me with my coach, um, I'm like, do you think, you know, do you have to come from a certain background to, you know, be one of the best runners in the world? Like, do you think it's possible, you know, to be like one of the best and, you know, come from like a background like mine and um, just, you know, not with, you know, being in track and field and running in college and, and stuff like that. And so I think those are like some conversations we had, we've had. I just, um, yeah, I want to see what my potential is. You know, I want to keep getting faster. I, I would love to, you know, get to more of the professional level. Um, 230 marathon for sure. I mean, 220 marathon. I don't know. I guess we'll get the 230s first. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're fast. That's for sure. I mean, you definitely have the potential. And I love how like you just put your goals out there and you you tell people like this is what I'm shooting for. And these are, you know, my goals. And I think a lot of people can relate to, you know, maybe thinking, oh, is this is this can I do this coming from this background? And so it's really interesting to hear you like wondering those same thoughts, like, can I do this based on my background? And I think, you know, if you would have asked that question 10 years ago, being a soccer player and saying, oh, do you think I can qualify for the Olympic trials? I bet a lot of people probably would have doubted (laughs) that you could have, or you would have had some people say, you know, that's a lot more work than you think it is. But then here you are, you know, a decade later, like proving a bunch of people wrong. So I like how it's a testament to you don't have to come from a certain background to get to a certain level. Um, Just seeing seeing what your potential is, is, is a great way to put it. And I like how you're, you're hungry to continue and it's, it's really inspiring. Yeah. I think that, um, like you said too, I I think too, it's great even with our athletes. Cause I think, you know, and I talk a lot about, you know, setting big goals cause you know, you have to at least, you know, put it out there, put it as a goal and something that, you know, you, you think you can possibly do because it, you know, we go back to, I mean, you have to believe in yourself and, and what you, what you think you're capable of doing to actually do it. And I think a lot of that came from Boston too in my, in my buildup. Did I think back in October um, that I was going to run my Olympic qualifier at Boston? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's not that I haven't always had it as a dream, but did I think I was actually going to get through the training, get to the starting line healthy, have like, you know, race conditions come together, like just have the race, you know, go as well as it did and, you know, and it, and it did, which is, which is crazy to me even. And, but I think back on the, the training and how well the training went. And I think that's for a lot of our athletes. Um, 
I mean, I think it's great to set goals that, you know, it might not be short term, but long term, I mean, you're more than capable of anything you want to do. And I think that I've helped kind of prove that to myself. I think a lot of people start to see that through their own training and as they go through the process and they're starting to run, you know, maybe as fast as they've ran in years or they're running faster than they've ever ran in their life. And they're like, you know, it just is, it's so fun to see their workouts coming together and to see them reaching new um, limits with their own training, you know, and, and like not even just like races, but just even like their own training to see them like, you know, reaching like the six minute pace and, and all those things. And I think that was even with my own training. I just, I had never experienced running that well, like for that long and for like workouts going that well. So I think until like you, you do it and you go through the process and you start to, you know, actually live it and do it. Like, it's a totally different thing. You know, it's one thing to like think it, but to actually like put into action and and do it and experience it is like a whole nother thing. And I think that's a lot of people can relate to that, you know, and the goals that they set for themselves and as they kind of build through their training and start to see how real it is as they do it. You know, I, I think there's just so much like power and confidence that comes from that, you know, that can come from like training and people setting big goals and yes. maybe it's not realistic in a week or two, but maybe it's realistic, you know, six months down the road. So I think that's just so important because, um, yeah, I think it, it's so powerful to set big goals and to like pursue those goals and to put in the time, and the effort to do it. And then to see it happen is, is really neat. And I think for all of our athletes, it's just so fun to see people's transformations you know, from where they start from and then, you know, to see, yeah. see that all come together. So, yeah. And yeah, mentally seeing people, cause I'm sure you have some people that come to you and their goals are, you know, sometimes people will say goals that are just very realistic. Like you look at their background you're like, Oh, I'm sure you can run faster than that. <laughs> you know, when they first sign up and then it's like, you know, six months later, they're like blowing their own mind with what they can do in training Um, and you're like, yeah, I knew you were going to get to this level and just like having someone that believes in you and helping, um, you get to that next level is, is really fun. And then it's also fun, you know, just seeing people take their training to the next level and, um, start believing in themselves because they're seeing, uh, you know, themselves get faster. And I think as a coach, it can be really inspiring to be a part of that process because, maybe you've been stuck as a coach, you know, around the same times for a while, and you start to think, Oh, maybe this is it for me. But then when you see all these like super inspiring people that you're working with, who are like, taking their training to the next level, and like taking that step, it's really inspiring to like be a part of that. Um, and I think as a coach, it, it just gives you an extra boost, because you're like, you know, if all, all these other people are out there doing it. Um, yeah, like, I, why, why can't I, you know, or why can't we um, continue to do the same thing? And it also kind of brings you back to your roots like I always think oh my gosh I remember like when I was hitting those paces or when I was like that and there's so much potential for this person I'm like yeah there is and there's a lot of potential left for you and it's just like it coming full yeah definitely no it's totally great I um it yeah it's so fun to get emails and just messages from people or just to see you know races go so well and um and I always think that's my own training too and I think that's you know the great thing with being a coach is you know how can I you know, take what I'm, what I'm learning from like myself and my own training and and best coach that to someone else that, you know, help them get the most out of their training and their performances and, and that. And, um, but yeah, no, it's extremely inspiring. And I, I love, yeah, I love seeing it and being a part of it. And, um, it definitely feels like my own passion and my own, um, my own running. So it's, it's, it's all full circle. Like you said, it's, yeah, it's just a really good community and it's, it's really fun, really, really fun. Yeah. And it's, it's fun because like some of the lessons that we've learned over the years, you know, you've been running for, for a long, long time now. And it's like some of the lessons that took you years to learn, like you can help someone learn in like a week. Right. So it's just like sharing the knowledge and the wisdom with other people. Um, but in terms of, you know, we talk about all these like super inspiring things happening. Do you ever think that some of your athletes or people you've worked with in the past, like whether it's through personal training or whatever, back in your um, days when you worked at the gym, do you think that some athletes just give up before they reach the goal because they, they get stuck in a rut or what advice do you have to people who are kind of going through that season where they think, Oh, this is it for me. Yeah. I um, give up. I think one thing you had mentioned too, is that 
Um, I think a lot of people in just this day and age, it's that instant gratification. So unless they're seeing results, you know, immediate results or, you know, they start making changes, they start like, um, well, I think a lot of people too, they'll start like too much too fast. And so they'll burn themselves out or they won't see the results that they're expecting for all the changes that they're making. And just like all the, um, yeah, I think some people definitely, they either do too much too soon, burn themselves out and they're not seeing the results or just enjoying the process um, or making it something that's realistic for them long-term, I think is always hard because people will set goals and um, maybe just with some of the changes that it's just not realistic with, with their lifestyle and things that they want long-term. Um, but I, I think it's hard because people just want the results so quickly. They, they, they want to see, you know, I don't know, kind of like that overnight right. success, but it's, it's really about just, you know, getting started, yeah. starting implementing like small changes over time and um, seeing how a lot of those smaller changes, you know, end up adding up to big results. And um, I just, I, I think people just need to get more involved with the process and really enjoying it. Um, Cause of course, anything that you do that you don't enjoy um, people are going to burn themselves out pretty quickly with, but um, I, I think if someone, you know, really wants to make a change and starts implementing a lot of those, um, like small behavioral things and, um, you know, week after week, they're gradually making progress. And, um, you know, it's a lot of those, I don't know, it's a lot of those small changes. I just, I, I just see it all the time where like people they'll, um, and like you said, when I was a personal trainer, you know, it's like new year's resolution, like new year's resolution, everyone signs up. And they're like, oh, man, so I'm going to yeah. lose like 20 pounds and I'm going to work out every day and I'm going to starve. And like, I don't know, they just don't go about it the right way either. You know, they don't use resources or they don't maybe train in the smartest way. And right. um, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like. Right. No, I totally agree. And I think you put it really eloquently before how it's just like those small changes over time lead to the big results. And I do think there are, you know, certain cases where people, they come with unrealistic like a timeline of their goals right like they they want that success you know in five my marathons in five weeks like let, let's do a 10 minute PR or something and I haven't been training but it's just enjoying the process and being more focused on the process than the results and I think is is huge and like you said falling in love with the process and just doing all the little things and just implementing like small changes so you know let's say someone's really jacked up to start training and they haven't been working out at all. It's just like going on a short two, three mile run is going to be beneficial at this point. Um, there's no need to like, you know, change everything in your routine all at once, because then you reach the end of, of like week three and you're like, what happened to my old life? I want it back. And then you just throw in the towel on everything. So yeah, I always like to just do one variable at a time and those small changes can really um, add up and change like the entire picture of your life over time. And they're more sustainable. Like you said, um, everyone jumps to the gym on January 1st. And I'm sure as a personal trainer, part of you kind of was wondering uh, how long is this client going to stay? And I'm sure some of them stick with it, but um, you know, the trend is obviously, you know, they do it for a month or two and then they're out the door because it was just like yeah. too drastic of a no, change that's, all at um... once. And I think about that too, because even some of the the clients that I worked with, we, you know, kind of work through each phase of training. So the initial phase of training with just getting someone started was kind of more of that. Um, I did like a lot of core training and a lot of like body weight, higher repetition, not necessarily like, um, you know, even some of the males I worked with, you know, like heavy lifting to wear. Um, I don't know, but it's so important to build that like right. foundation first. So always kind of going back to, no, have to start with this before you can build up to this, you know, so long term, like, that's where I want to get you to, but you have to, you know, start here. So I, I think that's even with, like you said, someone, you know, they have a marathon five weeks out and they want to, um, you know, they're starting maybe at, you know, very minimal miles per week and, you know, want to be ready to, to run it. It's just, it's almost setting up for, you know, just kind of a, just not the best experience or not the best situation. Cause I mean, ideally it's, um, or even I, I think of, you know, previously with, you know, some of my like years of experiences, I would go into a race and I'd maybe be slightly injured or like the race would just go terrible, like work so hard, like lean into the mm -hmm. race and all of a sudden race day, yep. it just falls apart. And it's like, 
how does, you know, how do I go from, you know, I worked so hard, like didn't get the results I wanted. So all of a sudden, you know, my instant thought is sign up for another race, you know, go out there and crush it like most people. And then it just, it's like, no, like, you know, just take a step back, maybe, you know, give your body time to recover, you know, work back through training again, and then maybe look a little bit more long-term. I just, I think it's just so short-term. Like I want to do this now, like, um, you know, what can I do to like get there? And it's just, you know, the more that, yeah, more the, pro- the process is just so important, right. you know, instead of, um, yeah, process thinking more long-term building up in a way that it's going to be an overall good experience for everyone involved. Um, so I think it's just, you know, making decisions and, um, and I think that's the good thing with the, you know, with us coaches, cause I have a lot of athletes come to me and they're like, would this be a good race to implement into my training, you know, based off of when my race is, you know, when this race is. And so it's always fun kind of having those conversations of, you know, what are some different things that we can sell, you know, build into your training that's going to make it kind of, you know, fun and motivating, you know, outside of just training and then things that will also kind of help build towards like, you know, your goal. So I I think it's good to, um, you know, there's a lot of parts that can go into the process, but when it comes to, you know, really wanting to see a good end result, um, there's just, you know, there's just so much that goes into, um, into that. So, (laughs) Yeah, into training. Yeah, I totally, when you said, oh, one race doesn't go well, then sign up for next one. I totally can relate to that because I think that's like a trap that a lot of athletes can get caught up in because it's a really emotional experience when you have a race that doesn't go how you hoped or it doesn't reflect the fitness level that you're in. You're like, well, I have to like, you know, prove to myself I can do this or you just kind of almost want like revenge on it. And so you just keep going and going and going and you can almost like run yourself into the ground um, doing that, you know, and I think it's not something that catches up with you right away. But then over time, like you said, you had a, a couple of years where it was just like injury after injury. And it's like, maybe it's because for a few years there, we were kind of like doing that, like abuse, not abuse to our body, but you weren't following like the, you know, like the perfect way of training where you're taking, you know, time off after your race, even if it doesn't go as planned. And I've definitely fallen victim to that where, you know, one race doesn't go my way. It could be a 5k. It could be a marathon. And I'm like, well, I'm signing up for another one because I have to prove this to myself and just not taking the adequate recovery. Um, and I think it's an easy trap for people to fall into because you work really hard and you invest a lot of your time and emotion and energy into training. And it's really hard when you have those races that don't go your way. Um, but I think it's important to know that your fitness like builds on itself over time. It's not, you know, one race and then it's over. It's like, you know, with your Boston story, you were out of running for three months and then all you had was a six month build and you had like a breakthrough race. So it just is like, you don't have to go out and race and prove your fitness. Yeah. It's not like it's going to go away. <laughs> no, you I know? totally like, agree with that. Better. And I think that was yeah. the hard thing with, you know, Boston too. If I would have been so stuck on the fact that I had to miss my two, like, big races for the year. I mean, Twin Cities 10 mile was a really big race last year. It was so hard. I mean, we were working the expo and I remember just conversations with people and I always try not to go into anything like negative, but you know, just thinking, I'm like, you know, I should be racing this weekend. Like if I wasn't injured and I feel like that can be, you know, tough or like, um, you know, and then with like CIM, I was in a race CIM last year. And so I ended up having to miss like my, like two big races last year. And if I would have just kind of, you know, stuck in, like the fact that I was missing my big races, I would have totally not even thought to, you know, even like Boston, you know, instead of being like, Oh, like, you know, poor me, I can't race. Like thinking like, you know what, there's a much better way I can go about this a way more positive way. Like why not plan like long-term, um, you know, maybe put some like fun training races, which I ended up doing with like surf city and Phoenix. And like all of a sudden I went from, you know, being like, you know, this really stinks. Like, you know, I, I'm going to be starting from like ground zero with my training um, and having to really build up. But then it just, it puts so much excitement into my training. And all of a sudden it went from, you know, just kind of a, a bad situation to just like a really good situation. So I just think there's a lot of ways that we can um, just set ourselves up better for success and training should be fun. And I think that's a lot of what um, over the years I've, I've kind of, you know, come to even with my own training. Um, I mean, I just get so much more, more out of it when I'm positive and happy and like, you know, not pushing my body through miserable workouts when I'm in pain or, um, you know, kind of, you know, taking like, like you said, kind of almost abusing our bodies in some way by like, 
you know, not giving ourselves the recovery it needs, you know, or like thinking we need a result. Um, but it's like, why do we need that result? Is that going to make us happy? Is that just something that like, I don't know. I just, I feel like I've gone to extremes with my training where it's been like, I'm going to push my body through this because I, you know, and I think back on it sometimes and like the, some of those decisions, it was just not the smartest decision. Like, you know, it just, it's good to like, just try to stay positive, enjoy training. You know, if the results there, the results there, otherwise it's good just to take a step back. And, you know, if the results not there for that race, it doesn't mean, you know, you're not going to have like, you know, your best race the next time around. So I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not an indication of your potential, like one race, you know, and, and just taking it for what it is. It's just like one race, just like, it's just another workout, right? It's not like the end all be all of your abilities or even a reflection of your fitness. Because sometimes, you know, like you could have raced MBRA 15K and, you know, there's two ways you could have looked at it. You know, it was a hot, humid day. Um, you won it. You know, you were coming off of, it was like your first race since Boston. It was great. But like, you could also kind of flip the script and make it negative, right? So it's all yeah. about like how you're, how you're looking at it, you know? And I think, yeah, too many people, they focus on like the negatives and just focusing on how, how can we make this a positive experience and just enjoying your training? Cause like you said, you should be enjoying it, especially, you know, you're not even a professional runner, like you were saying, and it's like basically a hobby for us all at this point. Um, so you should really be enjoying, um, most of it and making it something that, you know, that you like doing that way you're excited about it and you can continue doing it. For yeah. Long, I, I uh, think it's, Sorry to cut off the recording right there. We ended up recording for a long time, so we decided that we were going to split this into two different podcast episodes. This first one is all about Megan's journey to the Olympic trials qualifier, and then the next one we'll be talking a little bit more about how she instills leveling up in her athletes and kind of what it takes to take your training to the next level. If you want to connect with Megan in the meantime, you can email her directly at Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N, at run for the number four prs.co or you can always go to our website www.run4prs.co and fill out the form right there and chat with one of us right away thanks for listening